listening to a Southside Baptist Church podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Parker. For more audio content, please refer to our website, ssbaptistchurch.com. Okay, 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning at verses 1, reading through verse 3. And today I'm talking on the subject of I'm sick. Uh, why the average believer, why the average Christian today cannot worship, they can't work, they can't witness. What's wrong today? And, and so we're looking at it, it's 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1-3. through 3. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind. Now watch this, underline it. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk. Now everyone look this way. This is the Word of God, but this is also milk, okay? In other words, this, you can draw everything that you need to mature and grow as a believer out of the Word of God. And this is what Peter's talking about. This, empowered by God's Holy Spirit, is what you need and what I need to mature as believers. So again, verse 2, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that it may, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Underline that, that you may grow up in your salvation. Because the problem is today, same problem that Paul had in Corinth, we've got too many believers today that have never grown up. Okay? So that you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you and we love you. And we pray right now that the power of your Holy Spirit dear Lord, would guide all that we say and do. We pray, dear Lord, that everything that happens would be to your honor and to your glory. Father, I thank you for the sensitivity of, of our worship leader. And, and, and dear Lord, as, as he led us today and as a praise team led us, and, and, and dear Lord, I, I give you glory for what already you're doing through the power of your Holy Spirit, what you want to do in this service. Lord, would you just right now anoint and feel this messenger. So that, dear Lord, these are not idle words of a man. But that, dear Lord, they can be li- words that will change the lives of people. Lord, I know that you look at your church. And so often we're immature, whining and, and, and backbiting and, and, and whimpering and floundering along in this spiritual pilgrimage. And Lord, there are times that I'm sure we break your heart. You want us to grow up. And to be responsible, life-changed people. Father, would you help us today by the power of your Holy Spirit? Would you fill this place today and fill each heart? And Lord, we will give you all the glory and honor. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. There was a a statement made by a man that attended this church years ago that I've never forgotten. He was a Vietnam veteran. He had fought in Vietnam. He was a Marine. He had come back, and he told me one day uh, an observance that he had about the church. Now, he wasn't necessarily talking about this church. He was just talking about the church in general. And, And more so, I think it was an observance about our enemy, the devil. He made this statement. He said, you know, in Vietnam... He said the Vietnamese had discovered that instead of creating mines, landmines that would destroy a man's life, 
they discovered that it was better to make a landmine that would just simply disable that man. In other words, in combat, the Vietnamese understood that what they needed to do was injure a soldier to the degree that you did not kill him, you just incapacitated him. And listen to what he went on to say. And he said, what we discovered was that that would tie up three, four, and five good, healthy soldiers in trying to minister to one soldier that was now disabled. And then he made this statement. I I, I will never forget this. He said, Brother Jeff, could it be that today our enemy, the devil, is doing this in the life of the church? In other words, is he simply disabling you and I? Is he disabling some of us in this room to the degree that we are tying up the rest of the body of believers, so much so that the Great Commission is being ignored or being forgotten. Okay? So that's what we're looking at today. And it's simply this, that the church in some ways, and many of us in this room, we may be sick. Now last week, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at, uh, well, last week we looked at priorities. We said that this series called Personal Inventory is an opportunity for you and I to take a long, hard look at our life and determine if our priorities are in order. Last week, we looked at Martha and Mary, and we said this. We said, you know, Martha was a good woman. She had invited Jesus into the house, and even though she had invited him in, it was Mary that sat down at the feet of Jesus. You remember that? Seated seated at the feet of Jesus, fellowshipping with Jesus, listening to Jesus, having that great rich time that could never, Jesus said, be taken away from her. While Martha was in there banging pots and pans in the kitchen and irritated and angry because, uh, because Mary wasn't helping her. You remember she came in, she was very upset. She looked at Jesus and asked him, don't you care that I'm in there doing all the work while my sister is sitting here doing nothing. And Jesus said, Martha, Martha, you are distracted, you are anxious about many things. But Mary has chosen the one thing, and that cannot be taken away from her. You see, we talked about priorities. And then the week before that, we talked about this. We talked about, and I want to say this. You know, there are a lot of people that commented when I, when I finished last Sunday. I, I, in fact, I'll be honest with you, I had a good many people that came up and commented on that message, but I want you to know what I did. You know what I did? When I walked out of the pulpit and was walking to the back of this church, I said, Lord Jesus, I'm sorry. Because that wasn't the message that you had wanted me to preach. This was the message today that he wanted me to preach last week, and last week's this week. God is a God of order. And I got it out of order. And immediately I knew that I'd done that. So we're going to get it in the right order today. Now, two weeks ago, we said this. We looked at the test of salvation. In other words, we said this. This is a great time in your life and my life at the, at the beginning of a new year to do a personal inventory of our life. And two weeks ago, we said, hey, what's the most important thing In our life, what's the number one priority? What is the most critical question in our life? If there's going to be real change in my life this year, then real change requires hard questions. Well, the first question was this. Do you and I know God? We said this. Three tests to know whether you're saved. There's the test of assurance. 
1 John 5, 13, John said, These things have I written that you may know that you have eternal life. God wants you to know today that you're saved. He doesn't want you to flounder any longer, not sure, not certain, if you died where you'd spend eternity. So there's the assurance of salvation. That's the first test. Then secondly, there's an attitude towards sin. You see, when you and I become a Christian... We not only are assured of our salvation. Paul said, I know whom I have believed. I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. There is the assurance of salvation. And if you say there's an attitude towards sin. The writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews 1.9, he said this. He said, Jesus. He said, Jesus. He said, he loved righteousness. He hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set him above his companions and anointed him with the oil of joy. Do you know God, number one? Number two, do you hate sin? Because I can tell you this. If you don't hate sin, you may need to reexamine whether you're saved or not. If you're filled with God's Holy Spirit, you can't help but hate it. Then thirdly, there is the apparel of the Spirit. Do you look and do I look like Jesus? That's the three tests of knowing whether you're saved today. Now why is this all important? Because hear me, heaven and hell are weighing in the balance. You know, we had a, we had a break in this week. We haven't had one in years and years. We had a break in this week. Somebody broke into the prayer room, busted out the glass, came through the prayer room, and ripped off this 32-inch monitor, this Vizio monitor that we had on this side entrance. Then they took that monitor, they went out, and they went right out that front door. You know, I I came in and I was angry. I I was there about 7.30 that morning. I was irritated. I was frustrated. And then God began to say, I want you to pray for that man. Because it was a man, I'm almost certain, because he left his cap. I want you to pray for that man. And so I began to pray for him. God said, I want you to pray for him. And I want you to keep praying for him. Until I can, through my, through my Holy Spirit, can bring him under conviction. But I thought to myself, as I was praying for him, had you stopped that man five minutes before the crime, or five minutes after the crime, when he's walking down the street, down Raymond Road with a 32-inch Vizio TV, had you stopped him and said, listen, I'm just from the church, I'm handing out tracts, I'd like to ask you something. Are you a Christian? What do you believe the answer of that, that man would have been? I believe it would have been Yes. I believe that man, five minutes before the crime, if you'd have caught him on this street, he'd have probably said, oh yes, I'm a Christian. While all the while preparing to break in and steal from the church. You see, this thing of knowing whether you're saved, knowing whether you'll die, when you die, where you'll spend eternity, is critical in the life of a believer. Now, let me say this. First of all, there is the test of assurance. In other words, well, let, I'll tell you, do this. Take a right from 1 Peter and go over to 1 John. Look at 1 John chapter 1. Just right, just a few pages over. 1 John chapter 1. Now when you get there, look this way. We said that the first test of knowing whether you and I are really saved or not is this. Number one, we have the assurance of our salvation. People who are saved should know that they're saved. 
Okay? Now, parallel to that, and you'll understand why I should have preached this last week, without assurance of salvation, you and I cannot witness. Okay? That's why it's critical. Without the assurance of salvation, you and I cannot witness. Now, look at 1 John chapter 1. John writes, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. Now stay with me, verse 2. The life appeared, we have seen it, and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. Now look at verse 3. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We write, we write this to make our joy complete. Do you see it in verse 3? He says, we proclaim what we have seen and heard. Now, now everyone look this way. You and I will never be an effective witness for Jesus Christ. We'll never be able to share our faith until we are sure ourselves that we're saved. Without the assurance of salvation... You just can't witness. You see, you can't introduce somebody that you don't know. Man, I hate introductions. I remember Sheila and I, we first met. We were walking down the old Jackson Mall. We were on a date. We met some college. We were up at Mississippi State at the time. We drove down. We were having time together and just fellowshipping. Well, she was at Holmes. No, I was at State. She was at Holmes. And, and, and we were on a date, and we were going up and down and met some old friends of mine. And I introduced Sheila as my old girlfriend. I mean, I called her the name of my old girlfriend and made that introduction. Well, Sheila's a kind, sweet person. She let it slide that time. Lo and behold, we got on down Jackson Mall, and, and I met another group of people that I knew. And again, I introduced her as my old girlfriend. The same name. And even though she was kind... I could tell she wasn't happy. And I think if I remember, I did it the third time. And when I did it again, I walked away. Because I knew I'd been gone too far. You know, I hate introductions. I don't know about you, but when I introduce somebody, sometimes my mind will just go blank. I mean, I'll just forget the name. And so listen, but you cannot, I cannot introduce somebody. We can't introduce somebody we don't know. Do you know God? Because if you don't know God, then you're going to be ineffective in introducing Him to other people. Jesus said this would be a problem. He said in Matthew 7, 22 and 23, He said at the great judgment, He said, many will come and they'll say, Lord, did we not do this? Did we not do that? Lord, we were involved in ministries. Lord, we knew, that we, we knew this, we did this. And Jesus will say, depart from me, ye worker of iniquity, for what? For I never knew you. So you can't introduce somebody you don't know. Secondly, you can't share what you have not experienced. You see, the assurance of salvation is what gives you and I the ability to share our faith. If we have not had a born-again experience, if we have not had a life-changing experience, we will be ineffective in telling other people about it. Let me give you an example. It'd be like my pulling my daughter-in-law off to the side. And you pray for Alicia. She had a little bit of pains, and we prayed for her back in the 
in the office a little while ago and just praying that everything is all right with this pregnancy. But imagine if I, if I had come up here after Sunday school and, and gathered with her and Ledge and prayed with them and looked at Alicia and said, now listen, everything's going to be all right. I remember when I was pregnant, I had those same pains and, and I just began to talk to her and wait, she'd look at me like I was a nut. I mean, I, you know, I said, now listen, you know, that's just, your body's just adjusting. My body did the same thing. And I, I just went on and on. She'd probably look at me like I was a nut and maybe stop and say, wait a minute, Mr. Jeff. You've never been pregnant. You're talking about something that you don't know nothing about. You know, people have said, there's been women, women have always joked around and said this. They said if a man had to have the babies, there'd only be one per family. Ladies, let me tell you something. That is not true. There'd be many families that would have no baby at all because men get together. That's right. All it takes is for one man to pull the other men together and say, man, that's the worst thing I ever went through in my life. You don't want to do that. You see, the problem in the church today is that people are ineffective in sharing their faith talking about a born-again experience, a life-changing experience, because they're not sure of their own salvation. They don't know whether they're saved or not. You can't introduce somebody you don't know. You can't talk about an experience that you yourself have not had. And then thirdly, you can't be a witness to an event you were not present at. I can't talk about the carnage and the loss of life and the suffering in Haiti as a first-hand witness to that, if I have not been there and saw it for myself. A witness in the court of law is someone who has factual evidence and can bring that evidence to bear on the case. They are a witness. God doesn't need lawyers. He needs witnesses. He doesn't need you to defend the faith. He just needs you to share with other people what has happened in your life. And until you and I have settled this thing of salvation and we know that we're saved, we can't introduce Him to anybody else. We can't talk about an experience we're not sure we've had ourselves. And my friend, thirdly, we cannot witness to an event that we've not attended. And that is critical. I love what 1 John 1 says, one, chapter 1 verse 1 says, when John says, that which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked at, our hands have touched, this we proclaim to you. I serve a risen Savior. He's in my heart today. That's the question. If you serve a risen Savior, and people say, how do you know? How do you know He's alive? I know He's alive because He's in my heart. I can feel the power of His presence. I've seen answered prayer, and I know that He's real. And like the Apostle Paul, Paul said to Agrippa, he said to Felix, he said in the, in the, the, the palace of Caesar, he said, I know who I have believed it, and am persuaded that He is able to keep that which I have committed unto Him against that day. There are men and women that die for the faith today, young people that are dying for the faith, and they will not denounce that faith even if it means their life. Because they are convinced that He is alive. If you don't have the assurance of your salvation today, if you don't know that you know that you know that you're saved, you'll never be an effective witness for Christ. Secondly, 
without the proper biblical attitude towards sin, hear me, you cannot worship. Did you hear that? Without a proper biblical attitude towards sin, you can't worship. It's something that you can't do. Again, Hebrews 1.9, You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions and anointed you with the oil of joy. Let me ask you a question again today. Do you hate wickedness? Is there come a time in your life when you had a life-changing experience with Christ when you saw the power of, of, of the sin that, had, had, that held you captive and you were set free from that and there was no longer coddling sin, there was no longer excusing sin, there was no longer flirting with wickedness, there was no longer playing with sin as if it was some kind of deadly snake that had been killed but still continued to move involuntarily. My friend, I said it a few weeks ago. When my sister and I killed that rattlesnake out there on that old gravel road that day, my mom kept looking out there saying, get away from that snake, that snake can still hurt you. And I can still remember saying, mom, it's dead. She said, I don't care if it's dead or not, it can still hurt you. My friend, understand this, sin may be dead in your life, but it still has the capacity to hurt you and I. And the only the biblical attitude Toward sin is to hate sin, to hate wickedness. I'm not going, you wouldn't prod with a stick, you wouldn't prod a dead snake if that snake had killed your child. That snake had killed your child or somebody you love, you know what you'd do to that snake? You'd take your foot and stomp that snake's head down into, into the gravel or into the dirt. You'd do whatever, you'd say, you'd say, you'd stomp it out as hard and as, and as much as you could. But my friend, how often we will toy and flirt and carry on continually with wickedness and with sin when we've been set free of it. You see, you and I cannot hear me. We can't worship. And you may say, well, wait a minute. Why does the enemy work so hard if he can't steal my salvation if I'm saved and I'm safe? And you are safe. Take a left, run over there to John. Look at the Gospel of John chapter 10 real quickly. You are safe. Let me say this. You are safe. John 10. John 10 chapter, chapter 10 verse 27. Watch what Jesus said. I love this. I, we used to do children's sermons. And we'd invite those little children. They'd come forward and I'd take a quarter or 50 cents, I'd put it in, my, in the palm of my hand, and I'd look at those kids and say, how many of you would like to have this quarter, I'd like to have this 50 cents, or whatever it was. And, and boy, they'd smile real big. Sometimes it may have been a silver dollar. How many of you kids, man, all they, they'd light up, these little big kids light up. And, and I'd say, okay, any, any child that can get this coin out of my hand can have it. And my friend, I'd watch them kids, they'd sit there and they'd peel and they'd pull and they'd pull my thumb back and they'd do everything and they couldn't get that coin for nothing. Now listen to what Jesus said. In John chapter 10, verse 27, he said, My sheep listen to my voice, I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life, they shall never perish. Now watch this, underline it, circle it, no one can snatch them out of my hand. 
Some people say, well, I can, I, you know, I, can, I can snatch myself out. No, you can't. Jesus said, no one. That means you, sir, can't even remove yourself from his hand. That's why we believe in the eternal security of the believer. God may, God may take you out if you continue in sin. And we call that the sin unto death. But sir, you don't have the power, the strength, or the will once you have been put into the hand of Christ to remove yourself. He will remove you from this earth before He'll let you do that. You see, a right attitude towards sin makes all the difference in worship. You see, I can't fellowship with God if I'm living in disobedience. You may say, well, wait a minute. What do you mean? A moment ago when Jeffrey was up here leading us, we are corporately as a people coming together and we are worshiping. But what is worship? Real simple. Worship is drawing close to God. Now corporately as a people, as Southside Baptist Church, we're all coming together and we're drawing closer to God. But I want you to look at this. Take a laugh from 1 John and go to James. Just right back. Just a, just a few pages right before 1 Peter. Look at James chapter 4. Now I want you to see this. In James chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. Now again, let's watch this. Stay with me. You and I can't witness if we don't have the assurance of our salvation. You and I can't worship if we don't have the right attitude towards sin. Now watch this. In James chapter 4, verse 4, he says, You adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Now everybody look this way for a minute. To continue to live in willful, defiant disobedience. To coddle or to conform or to accommodate a measure of sin in your life And in my life, listen, we'll sever our fellowship with the Lord. Individually and and corporately as a people. You know, some people will walk out. People have walked out and they'll say, you know, uh, I just, you know, they'll they'll just look kind of down. Look like they just didn't have a good time today. Look like the service wasn't very good. and, 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 And man, I think, man, this has been a great service. But you know, there's times that I want to ask him, well, did you prepare your heart? Did you get yourself ready? Are you walking with the Lord? You see, I don't fellowship with my children when they're living in disobedience. Forget it. I don't. When my kids disobeyed a direct request that I'd made of them, even as children, if they disobeyed me, then I would send them to their room. I would send them away from me. And only after they made it right could they come back and be restored in fellowship. Now stay with me. They didn't quit being my son. They didn't quit being my daughter. Their blood did not change. They were still my children, but they were breaking fellowship as my children by disobeying me. Some of us are trying to worship. We're trying to draw near to God, and God's repulsed, and He's saying, as long as you're living like that, God says, I can't fellowship with you. Are you saved? Yes. 
People will say, you know, I read the Bible. It doesn't mean anything to me. I, I get out on my knees to pray, and my prayer feels like it's at the ceiling. I come in the church, I sit in a worship service as if I've been sucking on lemons. And then I have the audacity to say, what's wrong with the church? I had a man walk out years ago in a church I pastored. And he smarted off to me. He said, you know, some men, he said, some preachers don't preach like they did when I was a boy. And I said, sir, some do. You just don't hear like you did when you were a boy. You see... So often, we have to understand that as a body of believers, when we come together in fellowship and we're drawing near to God, there must be a commitment to hate wickedness. Every time I accommodate a measure of sin in my life, I am pushing God away from me. Does God still love me? Yes. Does, am I still God's child? Yes. But God says, Jeff, I cannot fellowship with you in the condition that you're in right now. Man, I wanted to go off on a long, I wanted to go off on a passage because Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians. You know what? You know how serious this is to Paul. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, you know what Paul tells us to do as a body of believers? If somebody starts living in willful, defiant, public disobedience to the Word of God, you know what Paul, you know what Paul says to the churches to do? This is incorporating Matthew 18. Matthew 18, when somebody is rebelling, living defiantly, rebelliously, willfully, publicly against the clear commands of the authority of Scripture, Jesus said, go to him. But Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 5. He says, if that person will not listen, and if they will not repent, Paul said, you know what the church is to do? Church is to pull away from them. They're to be isolated as if they're like a child. You know what a teacher will do to a rebellious child that will not listen? What does a teacher do? In a day when you can't do corporal punishment, a lot of teachers will do this. They'll tell the child, go stand in the corner. Put your nose in the corner. They are ostracized and alienated from the rest of the class. Why? To bring them to an understanding while they're standing in the corner that this kind of behavior is inappropriate. It separates me not only from the authority of the teacher, but from fellowship from the class. God does the same thing. Can I ask you a question? Maybe the reason that you don't feel the power and the presence of God's Holy Spirit in your heart and in your life is because you simply have conformed and coddled and accommodated sin. And a measure of it is all right. He loves me, he'll forgive me, so who cares? It doesn't matter. Then thirdly and lastly, without the apparel of the Holy Spirit, you cannot work. In John chapter 15, verse 5, Jesus said this. He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him shall bring forth much fruit. For without me, listen to this, for without me, Jesus said, you can do nothing. You see, without the power of God's Holy Spirit, without the indwelling power and the presence of God's Holy Spirit, you and I will be ineffective in trying to do ministry and trying to do the work.
We can't do it in our own strength. Paul said this. Jesus told him in, in Acts 1, 4 through 8. Jesus said, listen, he told the disciples, he said, until the Holy Spirit comes, you are to go into Jerusalem and you're to wait. They, they were Baptists, they had a business meeting. If you don't believe it, they, they picked the 12th apostle. They cast lots and picked up uh, Matthias. God had already picked the 12th apostle. Who was it? The apostle Paul. Jesus didn't tell him to go have a business meeting. He said, listen, you go back to Jerusalem and you just sit. You know what the word, you know what the word wait means in the Greek? This is what it means. Just twiddle your thumbs. Just sit there. It means to wait. It means not to do nothing. You know, there are times in your life and in my life, God just tells us to do this. Just wait. God, I don't want to wait. I've got to do something. My friend, until you and I have the power of God's Holy... I think this is what Jim Symbol is going to say to us today. Until you and I have the power and the presence of God's Holy Spirit, and it only comes through men and women who have committed their life to live above sin, to faithfully fellowship with God, to spend time in urgent, passionate prayer and say, God, here I am and as best I can, I've made myself available to you and God, I'm cleaning up and making myself an instrument that you can use. Ron Herod, Dr. Ron Herod said to a bunch of preacher, young preacher boys, and I was one of them, he said, men, I'll tell you this much. He said, God may use a dirty pitcher to carry the water life for a little while, but he won't do it for long. Boy, that convicted me. I never forgot it. The apparel. I'll close with this. Take a left. Go to Romans 13. I can't leave without telling you this. Watch what, watch what Paul said in Romans 13, verse 14. In verses 13, chapter 13, Romans Chapter 13, verse 14. Watch what Paul said here. I love this. In Romans 13, 14, Paul said, listen to this. In verse 12, he says, The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. Let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Okay, now everyone look this way. What Paul's saying is, you and I need to take off. If this is sinful... If this is a sinful habit in my life, if this is an habitual stronghold, if this is something in my life that I'm ashamed of, that I, can't become, that I cannot come before God, then what Paul says is cast it aside. Get rid of it. This is the picture here. And then in verse 12, he says, The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. Let us put aside the deeds of darkness. Put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime. Not in orgies. Not in drunkenness. Not in sexual immorality. Not in debauchery. Not in dissension. Not in jealousy. Now look at verse 14. But rather clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. What they were saying in their African language was that God put on the flesh of man. What Paul is saying to us is put on the flesh, put on the spirit of Christ. Do you look like Jesus?
And until you and I do, we cannot, we must not, please listen to me, we must not do ministry, we must not do work in our own strength because we will mess it up. You know, we've watched this Arctic blast, you know, this, this crippling Canadian air that's just come down and, and brought just such unbelievable temperatures all the way down into the Caribbean. And, and every once in a while, you would hear the story of somebody who uh, was not prepared. This Arctic blast came blowing down on them. They, they were not prepared. They didn't have adequate heating. They were not clothed properly. And there have been stories after stories of elderly that have been found dead and, 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 and different people, homeless, who have been found dead because they were not adequately clothed. Hear me. When you go outside those doors with anything other than the righteousness of Christ, the garments of Christ, then I promise you there is a worldly, satanic, hellish blast Young person, you can't handle it. And you, hey, listen, you may say, well, you know, I'm pretty tough. Yeah, I'm 54 years old. I've been doing this for about 30 years. I've seen some of those tough people. You can't handle the drugs. You can't handle the alcohol. You can't handle the promiscuity. You can't handle the stuff that you're seeing today on the internet. You can't handle it. That blast that the enemy hatches out of hell will destroy your life. And he will destroy every relationship and he will steal your health. My dad said the other day, he, we were sitting there and he said, I've got a young lady. He said, I hadn't seen her in a while, a member of our church. And he said, uh, he said, he said, um, said, she came back to church finally, but she looked so bad. And I said, well, what, what is it? He said, well, she just looks so, just looks so sad and and, and it looked like the world had taken its toll on her. And when she smiled at me, said, about all of her teeth were missing. She, and Dad said, she's a young woman. Said, I didn't understand that. And I said, that's crack. That's crystal meth. I said, that's drugs. I said, that's what the enemy will do to you. The enemy comes to kill, to steal, and destroy. My friend, I'm not going to flirt with it anymore. I'm not going to accommodate it. I want it out of my life. And I want to live a life that brings Christ glory. My prayer today is that you pass the test of assurance. The attitude towards sin. The peril of the Spirit. Because if you don't, you cannot, you cannot, you cannot, you must, you must not. But you cannot witness, you cannot work, and you cannot worship without it. Let's pray together. I'm going to ask you to stand with heads bowed and with eyes closed. Nobody looking around. Heads bowed and with eyes closed. Nobody looking around. I'm just going to ask Jeffrey, if he would, to come and play softly just for a moment. With heads bowed and with eyes closed. Nobody looking around. Already ledge is coming. I'm going to ask Brian if he would to come. I want to ask you a question today. With heads bowed and with eyes closed. Mom, Dad, listen to me. Because your children are weighing in the balance on this, on this question. 
Mom, Dad, let me ask you this. Are you saved? Are you a Christian? If you died right now and you stood before Christ, and he were to say, why should I let you into my kingdom? Could you say, Lord, it's because I put my faith in you on that day, and I can still remember that moment when I gave you my heart and my life, and from that moment I knew that I was saved. Or are you here today and you'd stumble and you'd falter and you'd say, well, I, I think I made that decision or I, 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 I think I, I'm saved. I, I, I hope I am, Lord. My friend, you need the assurance of your salvation. You need to know today before you leave here, mom and dad, young person, you need to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that it is settled in your heart and you know that you're saved. Why? So you can begin to live life so you can begin to, to worship the way God wants you to worship. So you can begin to work the way God wants you to work. So you can begin to witness the way God wants you to witness. Settle this. And know today that you're saved. And there's no doubt. Heads bowed and with eyes closed. You may be here today and you're, and you're wrestling even now. Am I causing you to doubt? My friend, listen, I don't want to talk you into anything and I don't want to talk you out of anything. But I tell you what, I want you to be sure today. So with heads bowed and with eyes closed, nobody looking around. If you're here today and you do not know Christ and you're not sure, then I want you to pray this prayer with me and I want you to mean it from the depths of your heart. And I want you to do it only if God, through the power of His Holy Spirit, is knocking on your heart's door and saying to you, you've got to get this right today. Because I believe that's the power of God's Spirit. He can do that right now. So if you're here and you don't know, I want you to pray this prayer with me. A simple prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner. I know that I'm separated from you. But I know that you love me. And you died for me. And right now, Lord, I ask you to come into my heart. To forgive me of my sin. And right now, in this moment, to change me and to make me a Christian. I thank you, Jesus, that because of this prayer and what the Bible teaches, that right now, I'm saved. Lord, I pray if someone prayed this prayer today and they meant it in their heart, you said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and will open the door, I will come in and fellowship with him and he with me. The writer of Romans said, Paul said, Today is the day of salvation. He said in Romans, in Hebrews 3, 7, If you hear his voice, harden not your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Father, I pray that if someone meant this and prayed it, that they would come forward and make it public. And we pray this in the name of Jesus.